Sure sounded like more than seven in that choir, didn't it? Thank you, choir. I know some of you are thinking, I didn't see but six. Miss, Miss Jean was down there, I'm counting her. And she was singing. I heard her. Thank you for being here. Hope you have your Bibles with you today. And we're going to look at a, at a familiar passage of Scripture. I've just entitled the message, uh, the, the Triumphal Entry, Entrance into Jerusalem. Uh, a message I'm sure that's being, uh, Scripture I'm sure being read all across the world today, literally, uh, as we come to this time in our year, this season. Uh, wonderful season, wonderful time. So on this Lord's Day, we call Palm Sunday. And, and under God's leading today, I would like for us to look at the significance of the triumphal entry of Christ Jesus as He makes His way into Jerusalem. I put some questions down at the bottom of your handout. And I would like for us to ponder those. I want us to really focus on those, not only today, but all through the rest of this Easter season, the next week or so. And there are these questions. Are we being true to who we are in Christ? Secondly, are we true to who God has made us? And thirdly, are we fulfilling all that God has planned for us to do? These questions will fit. They are part of the puzzle. So before we are done today, you'll see how they fit all together. But as we ponder these questions, I would like for us to go back and look at this passage and read together and look at this passage together. And I challenge us to walk together with Jesus the last week of his life before he was crucified and raised from the dead. I want us to look at Jesus's response to people, to things, to situations as he gets nearer, as he gets closer to the cross. And, and let's also see and, and, and try to understand how he stood confidently and firmly in spite of accusations. In spite of insults and mockery that he endured for you and for me. So Matthew chapter 21, Matthew chapter 21, very familiar passage and let's read that. I'll be reading from the New King James this morning. Now when they drew near Jerusalem, verse number 1, and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples... Try to, try to picture this in your mind, if you will. Say to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. That was, and that was prophecy. Verse 6. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded. 
They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. The word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. And now as we look into it a little deeper, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. That you would draw our attention to whatever it is it needs to be drawn to. That you would challenge us. That you would encourage us. Lord, that you might even convict us. So Holy Spirit, speak to us. We pray in your name. Amen. Now we could have a lot said about this particular scripture passage Uh, But I want us to notice three things about Jesus and his triumphal entry. Just three things this morning I think that will be very beneficial to us. First, we see that Jesus was courageous. During his public ministry, the three years uh, from age 30 to 33, Jesus, over that course of time, began to develop some tension that arose uh, uh, against him. The teachers of the law, the Mosaic law, and, and were, 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 these people were, were trying to challenge Jesus and, and test Him. And, and we can see this, this controversy building up. Think back with me on uh, His miraculous healings, uh, His teachings, His unorthodox behavior. And all that is, is His healing on the Sabbath. Remember when he did that and people got all bent out of shape or when he would would eat with sinners and people would think that was the worst thing in the world you could do. All of this was leading Jesus down a path of final confrontation with these religious leaders. And we'll see it come to a head next week as he's crucified. Jesus' triumphal entry would be the match that started the fire of controversy, so to speak, that would ultimately lead to what? His death. You say, well, surely Jesus knew that he was headed in a direction that would have grave consequences. But guess what? Guess what? He did so anyway. And guess what else? That took great courage. Because after all, guess what he was? He was human, just like you and just like me. You may be thinking, well, preacher, that doesn't sound very courageous to me. That sounds almost crazy. Was Jesus just in in this to pick a fight with some people? Absolutely not. Jesus should have known and he did know that entering Jerusalem in the daytime, riding on a donkey, would be a death sentence for him. But you know, God the Father, God his Father, would have had it no other way. That was part of the plan for you and for me. 
Flip over to the Gospel of Luke, if you will, chapter 19. And I want us to focus on a couple of verses here. Verse nine, chapter 19, verse number 37, and it reads this way. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, as they were going down that mountain, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. And this is what they were saying, so, so keep this in mind. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now look at what the Pharisees were doing in verse 39. And some of the Pharisees called to him. Can't you just hear him say, Jesus, out of the crowd, Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. What does Jesus say to him? Look in verse 40. And he answered and said to them, Jesus speaking here, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Boy. Okay, you can be quiet, but guess what? I, I, can, I can cause these stones to cry out and worship me. You see, in Jesus' final week, and this is the week we're talking about, all he wanted was this. All he wanted was for people to know that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that, my friend, took great courage. Now, what about Christians today? What about Christians today? Young people, let's, let's put this in, in your realm, in your sphere, if you will. Uh, older folks, let's put this in our world. Does it take courage to stand and be counted for? Young people, what about at school? Take in the morning, as early as in the morning when you get to school, does it take courage to stand and be accounted for? Does it take courage to stand firm in our beliefs and to acknowledge them before others? If you were in Sunday school today and you saw the, the, the um, DVD, the video, you learned that it's difficult, but it's something that we must do. Does it take courage, listen to this, to be transparent and to expose ourselves to the possibility of being rejected and ridiculed? Does it take courage to proclaim, to proclaim the truth in love? Bottom line, yes, it takes courage to live out the truth in our everyday lives. Jesus was that. He was courageous. And He wants His children to be courageous. Look with me in Matthew chapter number 10, verse 32 and 33. This is one of the many reasons we must be courageous and stand up, is this. Jesus speaking in verse 32 of chapter 10, He says, Therefore, whoever confesses Me before men, him I will also confess before My Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies Me before men, him will I also deny before My Father who is in heaven. Jesus was courageous. Do you think He really cared about what other people said. I want to think he didn't. Do you think he was ashamed of the one that he represented? God his Father? No. I'm reminded of one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Romans 1.16, that then Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why does Paul say that? Because he goes on to say, because it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. You see, Jesus was true to who he was. Was that not number 
one, the question number one I ask us to look at this morning. He was true to who he was. Secondly, Jesus boldly proclaimed or claimed to be the Messiah. I got to thinking about that and I said, you know what? If Jesus had been content with any other name but the Messiah, but Messiah, but Christ, guess what? He probably would have lived more than just 33 years. But in his courageous attempt, get this, to boldly proclaim the truth about who he was, he began that journey down that road to Jerusalem. The triumphal entry was Jesus' way of simply saying this with clarity and finality. Can't you hear him say this? Just in case you haven't figured it out who I am yet, I am the Son of God, the Messiah, who is here to take away the sins of the world. John 1 and 29. Well, what about... Back in that day in which Jesus lived, back in that time, that last week of his life, what about some Jewish customs of that day? Let's, let's get just a little bit of that so we can understand and try to comprehend exactly why Jesus did what he did and, and say what he said. How did Jesus travel? He traveled in a big old pickup that some of you have. Nice cars that some of us have. No. He traveled on foot. Is there ever anywhere in Scripture that you see where he traveled any other way than on foot? And now he's almost into Jerusalem. And guess what now? They see him on a donkey. On a little, not a full grown one. One that had never been ridden before. And boy, I wonder what people were thinking. Well, we've never seen Jesus riding on a donkey. He's never ridden anything before. And not only that, that's one that's unbroken and unbridled. Let me tell you what a theologian and professor of philosophy at Calvin College said. Robert Steen said this. It was an unridden donkey that was brought to Jesus. Because of its never having been ridden, it was fit for the sacred task It was about to perform. You see, the image that we see that could, that that should come in our mind, we, we see Jesus riding on a donkey that was set aside for the sacred service of carrying out the plan that God had. It was meant to be for him to ride on that donkey at that time. And then we see the disciples as they take their coats off and they put it on that donkey and they, and they, and they put, and they get Jesus on the donkey. And that picture there, when they covered that donkey, was a picture of royalty using their, literally their clothes to cover Jesus' donkey up with. And remember the crowds that were, that were shouting and, and they were, they were shouting praises and, and adoration to the King of Kings and, and Lord of Lords, Matthew 21, 9, we just read, they were saying, Hosanna. You know what that word Hosanna means? It means save now. Isn't that interesting? Save now. So salvation, even there, before Christ gave himself on the cross, was ringing, ringing loud and clear in the hearts and in the ears of these people. 
And then as I told the young people this morning as they were down front, uh, John twelve thirteen tells us that the people even took palm branches and went to meet Jesus. You see, I find it interesting that unlike many today who, who, who hide behind things and to make them look better or to feel better about themselves, Jesus was just the opposite. Jesus was not intrigued by the things of, of this earth. He didn't walk on this earth like someone he wasn't. You know people like that? But Jesus boldly proclaimed who he really was. He was the Messiah. He was true to who he was. And thirdly, Jesus, get this, Jesus did not claim earth, earthly kingship. But what kind of kingship did he claim? Kingship of the heart. Kingship of the heart. See, Jesus' appeal wasn't a selfish one, but rather one of self-sacrifice, of servanthood, if you will. He, he didn't care about royal robes and, and crowns, and He didn't rule with a sword, but He ruled back then, and He still rules today the hearts of men, women, boys, and girls with love and sacrifice and peace. Clear, visible example of that was when he rode that donkey into Jerusalem. Because what were they hoping he would be riding on? A horse. A horse that stood for, for power and, and might. But Jesus rode in on a donkey, a symbol of peace and tranquility. And you see, Jesus was going to that cross so that he could bring peace by taking up residency in our hearts, in our lives, in our homes. He was true to who he was. I don't know if you've ever watched the movie. I haven't either, but I read something on it this week. I'm going to go back and watch it. Patty and I watched a little clip on it last night. But I came across a story about a, a, a 1998 movie called Simon Birch. I don't know if you're familiar with that name. I wasn't until I read it uh, just this week. It tells about a 12-year-old boy whose name was Simon Birch who believed despite his physical deformities that God still had a plan for him. Simon was born tiny with an abnormally small heart. Did not even expect to li- be expected to live but 24 hours. Old Simon surprised everyone, even the doctors. He lived to be an adolescent. Can I share a story with you? Listen to this. A disappointment to his parents and the target of many childhood pranks because of his miniature size and odd-sounding voice. Simon has every reason to question his self-worth and purpose for living. But he embraces his condition and believes that God will use him in a unique, possible, even heroic way. Joe... Simon's best friend doesn't believe in God. And he is not the only one who doubts that God has a plan for Simon. Simon's school, schoolmates mock him relentlessly, believing his assertions to be one more, to be one, be one more indications of his strangeness. On one occasion, his Sunday school teacher hurriedly tries to hush him so he won't frighten the other children with his musings. The small town's 
unhappy minister also doubts that God could have a plan for small Simon Birch. In a poignant conversation between Simon and the minister, Simon asked, Does God have a plan for us? The minister hesitantly replies, I'd like to think he does. Simon enthusiastically says, Me too, I think God made me the way I am for a reason. The minister coolly states, I'm glad that um, that your faith uh, helps you deal with your, um, you know, your condition. That's not what I mean, Simon states. I think I'm God's instrument. He's going to use me to carry out his plan. Dumbfounded by Simon's confidence, the pastor says, It's wonderful to have faith, son, but let's not overdo it. With that, he waves for Simon to leave shakes his head in disbelief and whispers with an air of cynicism, God's instrument. A short time later, Simon is riding with his classmates in a school bus traveling down an icy road. Suddenly, the bus driver veers to to avoid a deer, loses control, and the bus plunges into an icy lake. Everyone in the front of the upright bus quickly evacuates out the door, but Simon and a handful of other students in the back of the bus are trapped As the bus begins to sink, Simon takes charge. He opens a window and commands his classmates to climb out. Last of all, Simon escapes through the window. In the hospital following the accident, Joe assures Simon that all the kids are all right. Simon asks, did you see how the children listened to me because of the way I looked and sounded? Joe, with tears in his eyes, replies, yeah. With satisfaction, Simon says, that window was just my size. Extra small, Joe utters with a smile. A few seconds later, Simon dies, knowing that God used him. But what Simon doesn't know before he dies is that because of his unwavering faith, his friend Joe now believes in God. Some 20 years later, standing at Simon's grave, Joe says, I am doomed To remember a boy with a wrecked voice. Not because of his voice or because he was the smallest person I ever met. But because he is the reason I believe in God. What faith I have I owe to Simon Birch. It is Simon who made me a believer. Boys, I read that story this week. I couldn't help but think and and thank God that that the faith that we have we we owe To the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's Jesus Christ that saved us. It's Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us. Your church, your and my faith, our salvation is due solely to a man who remained true to who he was. Who some 2,000 plus years ago rode triumphantly and as Dan prayed in his prayer victoriously. With his head held high as those crowds were shouting to him. It was Jesus who remained true to who he was as he stood before the high priest and religious leaders. It was Jesus who remained true to who he was as he stood before the Roman governor, Pilate. 
It was Jesus who remained true to who he was as he received those 40 lashes from whips woven with pieces of jagged rock. It was Jesus who remained true to who he was as he was forced to do what? Carry his own cross. And finally, it was Jesus who remained true to who he was, not only through his death on the cross, but ultimately his resurrection from the grave. So can I take us back to our first three questions? Are we true to who we are in Christ? Are we true to who God has made us? Are we fulfilling all that God has planned for us to do? Or, or, are we ashamed to stand firm in the calling God has placed in our life? Guess what? Guess what, church? You and I are the only ones that can decide. As your pastor, as your pastor, I am standing before God and before people that I dearly love, that I pray for daily. And I am proclaiming that I will strive with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength to be true to the one that died for me. That's the challenge before all of us. Can we say that today? Can we say that? Or are we like some in the crowd that were crying, crucify him, crucify him? And we'll talk about that next week. Pray with me. Father, thank you for, once again, another wonderful day of worship. Another wonderful time to be together with, with brothers and sisters in Christ to be together with those who first love you and because they love you, they have that capability of loving other people. So thank you, Lord, for allowing us to love one another because you first loved us. Lord, what a wonderful message you have placed before us today as we saw Jesus entering into Jerusalem, and we saw his courage that he had. And God, we thank you that he did have that courage, that he did go through and follow through with the Father's plan for his life. Lord, had he not done that, we would not be here today. Lord, as we leave this place in just a few moments... I pray, Lord God, that we would take this message with us. Lord God, that we would evaluate our very own lives. And Lord God, that we can say that we are true to who we are in Christ Jesus. As we sing this hymn of commitment, I pray, Lord God, that we would commit ourselves to serving you better. Lord, speak to our hearts. We pray in your name. Amen. You will find